Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. It seems like there's an ever-increasing number of people who have super strong opinions about science, technology, the environment, energy issues, on and on. Keystone Pipeline, blackout in Texas, artificial intelligence, green energy, trade with China, lost manufacturing jobs. The problem is that most people, including me, don't have the background or knowledge to reach good answers. And so we're left with these policy issues pretty much a mess with no real clear path forward. So joining me to sort some of these out is a very smart man, Mark Mills, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, where he focuses on science, technology, energy, and future manufacturing technologies. His books include Digital Cathedrals, Works in the, Work in the Age of Robots, and The Bottomless Well. He's also a strategic partner in a venture fund focused on software startups in energy. Mark, delighted you're here. Good to be here. I Thanks, sort of Bill. gave short shift to your resume, uh, your Manhattan Institute, where they can find your resume. It goes on for three pages. What an incredible list of achievements in the areas we want to talk about. It shows you I never figured out anything useful to do. I just kept trying different things. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're like me. You get bored. probably get bored easily. So let's let's start with something I think gets us into a lot of these topics. Let's talk about the uh, the blackout yeah. in, in Texas. Yeah, it's uh, an epic. The great the great Texas blackout will go down in history as uh, as an example. We hope, but uh, the green spinning as as uh, started the finger pointing. I mean, disasters all have the same characteristic after they've occurred. A lot of finger pointing. Eventually, the forensics. So this is an easy one. I mean, it, what it tells us are two things. One is uh, electricity matters. What a shock. Right? Yeah. Nothing works in society without energy. Electricity is the ascendant energy form of a modern society. Computers, lights, I mean, everyone knows that when it's gone. It also tells us something about uh, tinkering with the grid. Mm -hmm. uh, what caused, what triggered the so, domino? So, so, so yeah. what happened? I mean, Texas is cruising along, the temperature <laughs> drops. Right. Far it's, below anything that they're cold. used to. So, yeah. so what happened? Well, the short answer is the wind farms lost output, which is a euphemism for saying that it got cold, the wind went away. And so they stopped producing electricity, and they were the trigger for the domino. A lot of other things happened, but all, in every disaster, there's always a trigger. And there's never one thing after the trigger, there's a domino effect. But the trigger was the loss of wind power. Now, Texas has more wind farms, more wind turbines than any state of the union. It gets something close to 25% of their electricity each year on average. 25? From wind. Isn't, isn't the national average something like three? The national average for wind is about 8%. 8%, okay. Uh, so it's a significant uh, share of its electricity on average. <clears throat> Electric grids have a unique characteristic. You produce the energy when you need it, unlike any other commodity in history. Every other commodity we typically store weeks to months worth of supply because supply chains have a habit of breaking, weather, human events. So that's why we do that for water, for oil, for grain. We've been, do we've been doing that since Egyptian times. Storage matters. You can't store electricity at, at uh, society scales, no matter what people 
claim or say silly things about. So when electricity goes away from source A, you need a source B that you can call on. And the electrical grid is one of the marvels of the 20th century. Absolutely, yeah. The National and, Academy. And, but, is, but Texas had a separate electrical grid, separate from the rest of the well, country. Well, let's be clear. There's no, there's no electric grid. There are electric grids. There's okay. no single grid in the United States. Uh, the so-called ERCOT grid, which is the, the Texas region, is geographically big enough to be its own grid. Mm -hmm. There are political reasons they wanted to do that. It's it's lightly connected to the adjacent grids, but it is its own grid, which is fine. Uh, it's big. The National Academy of Sciences in uh, the turn of the century at Y2K, the famous Y2K, did an analysis of what were the most important inventions of the 20th century. They listed 100. Number one was electricity, the electric grids. The ability to produce that much energy that reliably and that inexpensively is one of the great achievements of the history of uh, the human race. Hmm. So in Texas, the windmills stopped turning, the electricity yeah. turned off. Now, yeah. didn't they have backup systems to, to, well, sure. to take you, the place? No. Well, sure. What you do is you, uh, you call on what's available. So yeah. in, in electricity, you have what's called dispatchable power. It's complicated. It's available when I need it, not when nature decides it might make it available to us. So they called on backup. That uh, you need it quickly. So coal power, coal fired power plants, which Texas has still has a lot of, can increase their output, but it takes an hour or so. So if you want to get something quickly, you call on gas turbines, which they did, and the gas uh, capacity ramped up rapidly, enormously, like tripled. I mean, it was a phenomenal increase. And then some of the gas uh, turbines tripped off, but because some of them had a shortage of gas supply, some of that we'll find out was caused by the fact that they have compressors that were driven by electricity. So not a good idea if you have an electricity problem. Isn't that well, a little circular? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. So, it, so we, can, we can begin the finger pointing by looking at uh, environmental pressures to stop using engine-driven compressors to move gas and pipes and replace them with electric-driven compressors. Well, uh, the nice thing about the engine-driven compressors is they run when there's no electricity. Mm. So the trip caused other plants to be called on. Some of those tripped off because when you get instabilities in the grid, you get all kinds of funny sort of, think of it as like sloshing of water. If you carried a pan of water and you try to carry it, you know, shallow pan of water, you get a sloshing mode. Electricity does that on grids. It's very hard to manage. So you've done a lot of work on, I, I, I think most people, this is the reason I opened the way I did, have this illusion that, uh, you know, if you put up these windmills, it's all going to be free and costless and will huh. be green and, and there's an endless amount of wind. Well, we know there's not when it gets that cold. Yeah. But there's nobody that, uh, you've written extensively on what it costs to put together a windmill and what the manufacturing yeah. requirements are and what how much you got to dig out of the earth to yeah. make a windmill. And the energy costs, as I understand it, in making a windmill are, are greater than the windmill produces when you put it in place. Well, not the energy costs, the material costs. Material costs, so okay. You, everything, so there's a, let's start with a sort of simple well, definition. Let, 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 let's start with, yeah. I was an accounting major, but never exactly. really went in. So I <laughs> help, you know, let's go, let's do basics. Well, well the nice thing about energy is just yeah. like money. I mean, yeah. first of all, it's fungible. Uh, and uh, you, you should always follow the, 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 the crumbs back to, you know, who's making money uh, and where does it come from? So th this first is a nomenclature problem. We have this thing called renewable energy. Th there's no such thing. So let's just start with the fact that energy is free, whether it's oil, gas, coal, wind, or sun. We didn't make it. Uh, it it's, it's there. 
Uh, we can be theological about how it got there, or you could be uh, cosmological, figure out where it came from, but it's just there. Mm-hmm. Energy, to access it in a useful form for human beings, we have to have a machine to convert the energy into something useful. So you have two costs. You have to have access to land where the energy is abundant. Always costs money because somebody has, owns the land, a government or a private sector. And then you have to build machines to convert the energy from its native raw form into something useful to us. That means you have to dig stuff out of the earth, convert it into a machine, and run a machine. All machines wear out. It just happens, like all humans wear out. That means there is no such thing as renewable energy machine. They all wear out. So the thing you care about is how much stuff do I have to dig out of the ground to make a machine to produce a unit of energy? With the so-called renewables, I need to dig out, on average, 10 times, or if you put it in accounting terms, that would be not 100% more, not 1,000% more, but you know, 10,000% more materials per unit of energy hmm. delivered to society to make a machine that uses wind and solar, rather than, or, and water, by the way, rather than burning hydrocarbons like oil, gas, and coal. And don't we dig most of we, isn't most of that uh, dug from, in China? Aren't we importing an awful lot of the raw material or all the uh, parts that go into uh, windmills? Well, the critical stuff we import. So that so 90% of solar panels are imported in America. The critical minerals that solar panels are made from, the solar panels are made from glass. So the glass is sand. You use natural gas to turn the sand into glass. That's a huge quantity. Uh, solar arrays and wind turbines use steel. They use concrete. These are common materials. But the critical parts, the, the so-called energy minerals, cobalt, selenium, and uh, you know, neodymium, prosidium, these magical sounding elements from the periodic table. We, uh, we don't, uh, we're not eager to mine them in America. So not only are they mined elsewhere, like Russia and South Africa, but most of the refining, which is critical to convert the raw mineral into a useful metal, is done in China. So we're, I threw out a jumble of issues to start with, but this gets into our supply chain dependence yeah. on China. And yeah. you know, we've seen with the pandemic and the need for drugs, all of a sudden people woke up and said, you know Rosemary Gibson, she's done a lot of work on the fact most of our pharmaceuticals are manufactured in China, subcontracted to India yeah. in some cases. But So the energy industry is in the same mode with China as pharmaceuticals? The, the green energy industry. Green energy, okay. So the, the, the green shift is, we could summarize it in the easiest possible way. The United States is essentially fully independent in its energy production and consumption. We're a, slight, we're a slight net exporter of energy, but when you count all energy forms, we're just independent. Uh, we produce all the oil and gas we need. We export some, we import some. When it comes to green machines, because it depends now, instead of on liquids and gases, like oil and get natural gas, it depends on solid minerals like cobalt and neodymium and hardware, those things, we're, we are dependent on imports. As I said, 90% of solar panels are imported, and 80% of all the critical components of wind turbines are imported. A lot of the imports are from China. Uh, some of them are from our friends, like uh, Canada and uh, Australia, but our friends are happy to sell us the stuff we're not willing to produce ourselves. So uh, why does this sound like it's not a good idea? Uh, well, is it just uh, is it just me? What am I missing here? It seems to me that it, we achieved energy, energy independence under Trump because of we let people drill in places they weren't allowed to drill before, and also fracking was stepped up in other ways to extract uh, fossil fuels. Is that the short answer? Well, Trump accelerated it. That's yeah. No question. It, it began pre-Obama. Yeah. It actually took off, ironically, in the Obama administration. 
And you, you remember that famous debate when Romney and, and Obama were de uh, debating over who was responsible for the boom in U.S. oil and gas production, and uh, Obama took credit for it? It was really quite, a, quite an epic uh, moment in energy and political history. And of course, he, he, he gets credit for well, it. He was, ta he was taking credit for the Trump economy three years well, into it. He took credit for it ahead of it happening. But that's, <laughs> that's, maybe he was a seer. So let, let, you, know, you, you put your finger right. Is this a bad idea? So it's a really, really bad idea. So we are going to switch America's energy from domestic production to imports. We're going to switch America's energy from liquids and gases, which are easy to move and, and cheap to extract, to energy minerals, which are hard to move and energy intensive to extract. We're going to switch from a small footprint on the planet to a huge footprint on the planet because the land area required per unit of energy when it's green compared to hydrocarbons, it goes up it, it, tenfold. It, 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 uh, you're watching the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Mark Mills, a uh, fellow at Manhattan Institute, and we're talking about the the electrical grid and, and green energy and uh, whether it's really a good idea or not. So, Mark, what, what do you mean about the footprint? The, uh, what is what is what is that? Uh, so, if, I, if you've ever seen a wind farm, I've, you've probably seen them. Oh, they're it's terrible. Kind of kind of hard to avoid. Uh, I mean, if you, if you like birds, and I do, I, I like birds. I, I like big machines. I confess it. So, when I see huge wind farms big, going to the horizon, big, big noisy machines. Yeah, you know, it's good. It's, yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice. <laughs> but, but in terms of footprint, if you, you see a wind farm going to the horizon with all these, these uh, turbines, each the size of the Washington Monument, uh, it takes up a lot of land to do that. Uh, you could replace that entire wind farm with a couple of buildings that are, you know, roughly the size of, I don't know, uh, a small strip mall in, uh, in a rural uh, village it, containing natural gas turbines with buried gas pipes. That, that small footprint replaces that entire landscape just going to the horizon because of the high energy densities of natural gas and the machines that make the electricity. The thing that's seductive about the green stuff, the so-called clean tech stuff, is that the, people think it's free because it's just there. Just like I pointed out, it's a total uh, category error, misnomer. It's not free. It's expensive. You have to build machines. And they think it's somehow like unobtainium. It doesn't do anything bad for the environment. Well, if you count the mining, first, that has an environmental impact by virtue of the fact that it's mining. Secondly, we use oil to mine. We use big machines. Mm -hmm. The global mining industry uses as much oil as the global aviation industry did before the great lockdowns of 2020. So there's oil used there. And then when you finish using the machines because they get used up, they're garbage. You have massive quantities of waste. In fact, the International Energy Agency calculates that the quantity of non-recyclable solar waste is the stuff from solar panels when they're worn out by the year 2040, 2050 will be greater than the quantity of plastic waste in the world today. So for those who are environmentalists who worry about plastic waste, now we're adding actually toxic material because the metals in the glass or toxic metals, you want to be careful where you bury them. That quantity is bigger. This, these are, there's no, this illusion or some kind of simple magic replacement is, is, is an illusion. It's, it's magical thinking. How do many, how does somebody supposedly smart like Larry Fink, who runs BlackRock, who's now imposing an environmental agenda on right. all the major corporations, He's a very smart man. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, he's rich and smart, which means, you know, that's how they go together. <laughs> it, it helps. But I, I, it's mystifying to me that as I, as I read your material, I listen to you describe the enormous cost of so-called green energy, how anybody can hold that, hold that in their mind while also conducting an otherwise rational life. I mean, it, 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 it is magical thinking. What is, well, I should have put religion on your list yeah, of... Yeah. Uh, well, we could uh, talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> That's it even... You know, you said that people have strong opinions about things. Because you've done a lot of research, <laughs> and yet you're surrounded by all this... Uh, yeah, this, this re the religion of... Well, it's a carbon religion, um, so I, you know, I try not to delve in the psychology of why people okay. believe things That's they believe. Fair. Um, That's fair. But I do, I do, I would say that there are people who believe things for what amount to religious reasons. This becomes an ethos, a way of thinking about the world. There are some people who believe things because they really haven't done the homework. They don't, they don't know what they're talking about. They think they do. And there are some people who believe things because they have an agenda. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't either discount or dislike agendas. Everybody has some kind of agenda. But the goal to hew to a sort of a, you know, it's ESG ethos, the environmental sustainability and governance ethos, which has been converted into a climate ethos, is very powerful. And what people don't know, I'll give you a fact of something that Larry Fink might know, but I'll bet didn't know, and he may know it now, I don't know. In the real world, if we have an electric car, which he presumably would want to provide incentives for because they don't emit anything when they're running. Yes, they emit stuff from the power plant, but let's stipulate the power plant might, in fact, be a wind turbine that doesn't emit anything when it's running. So you have a low carbon way of driving. It takes energy to make the batteries. A battery mm -hmm. in an electric car weighs 1,000 pounds. You have to mine, extract, and process something like 500,000 pounds of materials to make one battery that weighs 1,000 pounds. The battery chemicals and the batteries are typically made in Asia on coal-fired grids. So when that battery arrives in America or its materials show up in a, a battery made in America and dr driven on our grids, even if our grid gives you zero carbon electricity, you're working off a carbon debt that was incurred in China or in the mine sites that can take years or never be repaid. That, that is a simple reality that it's simply not accounted for in so, so, all so, of so, so, so China's already got an egregious record on, on, on this. And right. so what we would be doing is exporting our problem to them, and they would be worse. Well, again, I'll, I'll, I will, I will uh, dispute the worse or not worse, since I'm not, I'm not a carbon phobe. I don't have, I'm not worried about carbon well, dioxide. Isn't, isn't carbon what we breathe? I mean, well, carbon dioxide is sort of we, essential. We exhale carbon life. dioxide yeah. and plants eat it. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's, it's a nutrient, but that's setting aside the climate <laughs> argument. Let's just say you don't have to debate climate change to know that if you, what your goal is to change the energy system, you have to be honest about where energy is being used. So you're right. If you buy a product that's made right. somewhere else, you've exported the pollution, if you like, associated with that product. The only country that's been honest about this, God bless them, the French, had a study done to figure out how much of their citizenry's carbon footprint is associated with stuff they buy made elsewhere. And they discovered, and this is a country that where, remember, uh, almost all the electricity comes from nuclear power plants, which emit, which emit nothing. They burn nothing. They discovered it doubles that country's carbon footprint. Doubles it. Doesn't just increase it a little bit. It doubles it. Now, we could do the same thing, but it doesn't mean that the energy isn't used. It's just used elsewhere where we have no control over it. 
we prefer to buy cheap stuff. And, oh, well, lo and behold, all over the world, people are still building coal-fired power plants because they're cheap. So you mentioned, we talked about, we've been talking about batteries. Uh, the, the, the defenders of clean energy are now saying, well, the batteries would be a solution for the problem in Texas, and they're pushing <laughs> grid-scale yeah. batteries. Yeah, and, sure. and I'm reading what you've written, that, that uh, you say that the, uh, what would be required for the Texas grid to handle predictable occurrences of several days with that wind or sunlight? Yeah, yeah. And the answer is... Uh, I'll read you what you wrote. The yeah, quantity of batteries yeah. needed equals a decade's worth, a decade's worth yeah. of the entire world's production, at a cost well north of four hundred billion dollars. Yeah, just money, four hundred billion, just for Texas, to to, to run its grid. Well, for in this a, Congress, that is for, a drop in the for bucket. a day or two. Yeah, well, let, yeah. Let's put it in a more. So that seems so theoretical. It's such a big number. Okay. Here, here's what we do know: Texas builds big things. Yeah. Like they have the biggest wind farms. They have big, big ranches. I love Texas. So there are, they are already embarking on building the, the world's biggest battery storage farm for its grid. It'll get built, I'm sure, the next, uh, and finished the next year or so. So if we look at that, that, and that's going to, I think it's about a $200 million facility, give or take. All right, so $200 million. What does that get you in Texas? It, it buys about 30 seconds worth of storage of electricity from just Texas's wind farms. 30 seconds. Not... <laughs> Not three days. Now, in, on a grid, 30 seconds is useful, by the way, because when you want to manage these dynamic flows, yeah. you need 30 seconds worth of injection sure. power. It's, yeah, it it's kind of like, you think of, of a hybrid car. Hybrid car you know, stops at a stop sign and it goes, starts again. But you, 30 seconds. This is the world's biggest battery farm. Uh, and that's just for Texas, and just it's just it's a win, just it's win, not its whole grid, by the way. I'm just talking about storing the electricity produced by the Texas wind farms on the world's biggest battery farm, which they're building. So we should build more battery farms. True, uh, we just had a report. It's been it's been in the news. If you're uh, you know a technorati and you read this kind of geeky stuff, uh, last year in the United States we had the biggest expansion in, in grid scale uh, storage. Uh, it was, you know, it's like, I forget, 200% higher than, than the last five years combined. All the United States grid batteries that were added last year, which is a huge increase over anything we've added in the last decade, all of them combined would store, you know, just like drum roll, about eight to 10 seconds worth of U.S. electricity supply. That's it. That's where we are now. Now, they have plans to, to increase that 100-fold. Well, great. That gets you, you can do the math here. You know, mm -hmm. gets you to minutes, right? Half hour of uh, like when you when you have uh, lights go out, if you're on on demand power, because there's let's say a whole day where the continent of the United States has no wind and no sun. In other words, cloudy all day and no wind. Does that ever happen? Well, yeah, we actually have data on this. There's no data it goes back decades and decades. We have many occurrences over the decades when for several days. There's no sun over the entire continent of the United States, cloudy, and no wind. The whole continent is becalmed. This would be really inconvenient if the grid were run on wind and sun. And, and sun. You're watching the Bill Walton show, and I, this is a Bill Walton sort of stunned talking to Mark Mills <laughs> about uh, Manhattan Institute about energy uh, policy and the, and the magical thinking involved in, in using batteries to store energy. Uh, Mark, you mentioned the N-word. 
nuclear. Yeah. Love nukes. <laughs> Who doesn't love nukes? So if you're a physicist. You, so Who doesn't love a nuke? It, it, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm strugg I struggle with this because, okay, you don't like fossil fuels, fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. We've talked about wind and solar, yeah. the enormous sunk or the hidden cost. Hidden, no, hidden materials costs. Yeah. Hidden materials costs yeah. that nobody is willing to talk about. We talked about the batteries piece of this thing. Uh, but nuclear, it, it, it's, we've, it's been around for, since, what, 56, 1956, when the UK built their first plant. First commercial they, plant. They built an enormous nuclear plant. France now gets, what, 70, 80% of its... 90%. 90% of its energy from nuclear. Uh, we haven't had an incident except for the you know, couple notable ones that movies are made about. So it's a, it's a safe technology yeah. by all accounts, and yet... I mean, talk about how nuclear could, could if, if, if nuclear had been in place in Texas, what, what would that cost and what would that look like? Well, yeah, first, let's just stipulate if, if only a fraction of the Texas wind farms had been built, just a fraction, yeah. if what they built instead with more nukes or coal plants or natural gas turbines, but let's use the nuclear plants, there'd never have been a great Texas blackout. It would only take a fraction of those to have been not episodic power but rather, you know, firm power, always running. And nuclear energy is an interesting problem. I, uh, there, there's been no phenomenological change in how we can produce energy uh, over most of human history with just two exceptions, and, they, and they're very similar and kind of interesting. I mean, we burn stuff to make energy and electricity. We capture things that move, the wind, water. I mean, you can run in a treadmill to make electricity. Uh, there's lots of you know, energy comes from those sort of chemical and mechanical things. But photovoltaic effect, which Einstein got the Nobel Prize for, that's what he got the Nobel, not for relativity, but for photovoltaic effect, is the phenomenology the of converting photo what attack? photovoltaic or photoelectric effect. Okay, solar cells. All right, great. Converting photons directly yeah. into electricity. Kind of magical. It really is. The, the problem with it is not that it's not magical. It's magical. It's that the sun's not there all the time. So in outer space, it's great. Sun's always there if you're relatively close to the sun. If you go too far from the sun, like satellites going to Jupiter, mm -hmm. you don't use solar panels. You use nukes, nuclear generators, because the sun's too weak. But the other phenomenology, of course, is nuclear fission, which is literally magical. That's, you want magical energy. We're actually doing something that violates what scientists thought was impossible, which is to convert matter to energy. That's what that's doing. Converts. It is uh, probably the single most difficult form of energy to make into a cheap easy power. I think probably it's reasonable to say we're on the cusp of the kind of engineering that make that possible. It will be the biggest and most important change in how we make electricity uh, in, in history. It will take time, decades, not, not years, but the environmental community is at best split on it. Most of them oppose nuclear power. Uh, I recently testified before a House committee. We talked about this issue as well it came up. Uh, the administration's witness uh, essentially stated, and I'm not, mis I'm, not, I'm not being unfair in saying this, that nuclear power is not on their agenda as a climate solution, which is scientifically shocking if you worry about carbon dioxide. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about a next generation micro reactor? Smaller reactors. Smaller reactors. Micro by, by virtue of the, compared to how big reactors are today. You need big ones, too. I mean, yeah. think of it in aviation terms. I mean, the, the jumbo jets have a, have, a, have a purpose. 
but their purpose tends to occupy 10 or 15% of the total air miles. Most air miles are on smaller, more agile, more flexible uh, equipment that, because in just an, an economic sense, you can't fly the giant machine where the little machine is all you need. This is true in electricity. And most of the carrier's fleets have gone to the smaller ones because of that uh, in, in, right. in the case of airplanes. So do, does, that, does that technology exist? Is that something that we should be pushing towards? Or is sure. That, is that R&D or what are we? We're, we're, we're well past R&D. Okay. Uh, there's there's, there's a very interesting designs, probably a dozen impressive designs. But look, electricity is about a third of the U.S.'s energy supply. It's about 20% of the world. So if you convert all electric supply to nukes, which won't happen, you'll always have a mixed uh, source. It's just like there's a lot of ways for it. would be like saying with all transportation will be in helicopters. Mm -hmm. you, you have cars and trucks and airplanes and boats. In in energy world, it's the same kind of diversity. But set that aside, it's not going to be all energy. It's going to be a significant impact as the world needs more electricity. And it, But it will, it takes not a week or a year to go from a great new design, which there are probably a dozen, to commercial scaling. It takes, it takes years. Let me switch gears a little bit towards something we talked about earlier, which is our dependence on China mm -hmm. for various aspects of our energy and other things related. What is, do we have a strategic, I've done several shows on China and I'm, yeah. I am concerned they've got really global ambition to be many, many things. They see themselves as the, as the kingdom, and uh, they've got 100 years of uh, humiliation they've got to make up for, and they've got to, and, and I've done some shows on China. You should see my chat board on YouTube. I mean, they've all, they're all on there, and that they don't, they don't much like us. At least they don't like me. <laughs> so how, how dependent are, let's talk about the supply chain as it relates to energy and China. Well, China is interesting uh, for a lot of reasons. So the, let's just stipulate that, the, and I was in a, maybe, uh, I think, of more than a dozen cities in China from, from the coastal areas, the, the obvious places, to inland and in western China. Uh, I, I mean, I, the Chinese people I, I like. I mean, I, I met a lot of engineers that, you know. I agree. Let me stipulate: it's not the Chinese; it's the Chinese Communist Party. Exactly. So I mean, we're on the same page. Yeah, that, that, I, I, the issue is not with the Chinese people. They're great people, and they're innovative. And they're yeah. bright. Why should we be surprised at that? Right, 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 right. Uh, so, but the Chinese government is very smart. Uh, so they they are the world's largest oil importers. They're world's largest natural gas importers. 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 They yeah. import coal, oil, natural gas. Uh, they're, the fast, they're a fast-growing economy. They're one of the fastest-growing big economies in the world. They need lots of energy. They're the world's biggest coal burners in the world. They also have the biggest wind farms in the world. But most of their electricity is coal-fired. They're two-thirds coal-fired. We're about 20% coal-fired. And they're not going to stop burning coal. And they're not going to stop importing coal or importing oil or importing gas. So what are they doing? Well, they're selling us all our solar panels. Why would they? Why well, they're selling us parts for wind turbines. They're selling us components for making... Uh, magnets that are in our do uh, they, electric do they, cars. Do, do they eat their own cooking? Are they using <laughs> Are they using solar and wind? Well, sure, okay. but for a tiny share of their tiny, electricity. Okay, they're not relying on it. They're not no. Texas. No, they're not Texas. <laughs> they're, they're smarter, smarter than, than, that, than apparently, Texas. Apparently, yeah. Apparently. Look, so here's here's there's two big questions. One is, are we dependent on China? Yes, for certain things, and particularly uh, these so-called rare earth minerals, right. which are misnamed. Uh, people don't know what that word 
was created for it. I, I know the word. I don't know what it means. So there's, there's elements like neodymium, prosidium, dysprosium. These are this, uh, this a part of the periodic table. is full of these odd sort of science fiction-y named elements. They have rare properties. They make magnets incredibly powerful and temperature resistant, for example. They let you make lasers. They let you make cell phones and uh, all, all of the magic properties are, and the, the rare properties are in those elements, but they're common. We used to mine most of the world's rare earths and export them to the world in the 90s, up to the 1990s. We chased our miners out of this country by virtue of our environmental regulations. And mm -hmm. so who does most of the rare earth mining? China. And in critic, more critically, if you mine a rare earth somewhere else in the world and you want to refine it, which is very difficult chemically to do, thus done in China. So they made a choice to do that strategically because they knew how important that was in the supply chains. It is the strategic tool for them against the outside world as powerful as the, the tool we might use in, in, in the soft power kind of, you know, rail politique of Kissinger that we would use the oil and gas. They have a counterplay. That's not an accident. It's not an accident at all. The, the critical minerals we need to make solar panels, the minerals they supply, the critical minerals we would use in semiconductors to make your smartphone work, they supply. So we make the chips. We're the dominant chip designer on the planet, America. We're no longer the dominant manufacturer. We're the single largest manufacturer. We're no longer, we're no longer the dominant manufacturer. And, they, and China is a dependent on imports for the semiconductors, but the semiconductor world is dependent on imports from China of critical minerals. This is not an accident. It's a brilliant strategy because it's a strategy you can implement faster than making semiconductors or making aircraft. You make the critical minerals for it and get us dependent on that. You've written extensively on, on industrial policy, and I don't want to go into all aspects of that, but with regard to China, it seems like I, I, I had a show I titled uh, China's ruled by engineers. Yeah. America's ruled by lawyers. Yeah. What pretty could, pretty what, true. What could go wrong? <laughs> That's pretty true. And engineers <laughs> are thinking long term, strategically, yeah. Yeah. laying the groundwork for yeah. for the future. <clears throat> Who in our government is thinking about this the way you're thinking about it, and should we be responding to this uh, strategically as a country? Well, some people are, um, and mostly they're in the agencies. They're you know senior, senior, and I don't mean this in a, in a uh, pejorative term. Senior bureaucrats, as opposed to political well, analysts. Call them career, yeah, career government. Career government. And it, look, there's a lot of smart people in government. They yeah. know these things. What I'm telling you, we, we've had studies done by every administration going back to 1930 about critical mineral dependencies. This is not a new issue. Uh, and most administrations, including this one, the Trump administration, the Obama administration, the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, have issued manifestos, studies, or executive orders about import dependencies on critical minerals. It's not a new subject. For the Defense Department, the quantities they need, they can sort of make up for it by buying stockpiles because their quantities are low enough. For, but societies don't buy stockpiles of these things. We need to have reliable suppliers and partners. Nothing wrong with imports, I mean, as long as you have some resilience, right? Mm -hmm. Different options. For a lot of these things, we don't have options. We have China. When it comes to oil, China has an option that we don't have with respect to critical energy minerals. They, they can buy oil from us and gas. They or can they can go to the Middle East. Yeah. Middle East, they can yeah. buy it from Russia, they can yeah. buy it from Africa, which, of course, is the strategy. So what, when, what's your advice about what we should do about 
our energy dependence on China yeah. or related? Well, so I wrote a paper on this, maybe unsurprisingly, and I, I ended with a facetious piece of advice, but it was, I'm serious about it. Since all uh, green tech machines, batteries, electric motors for uh, electric cars, wind turbines, all require critical minerals, for every dollar of subsidy that our government layers on using more of those green machines, we should require a pound extra of those minerals to be mined in America. Now, that's easy to say, but to have that happen requires that we need to become, in a regulatory and environmental sense, friendly to mining again. So our new Secretary of Energy, Secretary Granholm, recently said last week that uh, this administration is going to support, in some fashion, and I'll, I'll do a direct quote, because I'm not sure what the words mean, sustainable mining for green minerals. I, I'll confess to being a little snarky by tweeting that, saying, so if Wait, we call it drilling sustainable, sustainable mining for green, green minerals, minerals, green energy minerals. So I want to know if that def definition is elastic enough that we can support sustainable drilling uh, for natural gas and oil in America. I think I know the answer, but look, the point is, you, you said, does anybody aware of it? Yes, obviously. You wouldn't say something that loaded as the Secretary of Energy, that we might have to increase U.S. mining to not be dependent on the Congo and China for cobalt, for batteries, for example. Well, Mark, thank you. Um, you've, you've, uh, you haven't made me feel more optimistic, <laughs> but you we have made me want to have you come back because <laughs> I'm thinking about the things we didn't get to talk yeah. about, what I wanted to, artificial intelligence. Yeah wanted to talk about the uh, information technology infrastructure and the, the data fields that exist out there and and uh, the fact that you know if you look at the future of a country we've also got a we've, we've, we've falsely defined manufacturing to say we're losing it yet you make a great yeah. point about how services are intermingled with that and it's not as bleak as it looks so the next show we're going to do an optimistic uh, uh, <laughs> dig, dig into those uh, those areas. Well, and... uh, can I end on a positive note? Then? I would love that. Right. It relates to China. Uh, so I think uh, you know I'm I'm negative on green energy because it's a it's a uh, to use the you know the the, the there's a chimera. It's magical thinking that that somehow that's the, the whole idea of innovation being wrapped up into energy technology is embarrassing and sad and, and dispiriting. Innovation isn't coming there. There is innovation there. The revolutions that are coming are in computing and information and artificial intelligence and robotics and automation. And their revolutions are exciting and job creating and productivity creating. And the question you would ask is, who's doing it? We are. We are. Eighty percent of the innovators are in America. The data centers are in America. The new AI companies are in America. And here's the, here's the China fact that's interesting. China knows that. And China knows something else, that in in about 25 to 30 years, which is meaningful in the long cycles of planners, the productive part of the economy, those 15 to 60, those are the most productive people, just arithmetically, that age cohort will be younger in America than it will be in China. It will be a younger country. Will be a country there will be a country where its population is shrinking and older. will be a country that will be a younger and growing. We, we will still be above... The, the negative growth rate that China was in negative growth rate. And because of the one child because policy. Because of the one child policy. Yeah. 
and and yeah. we will have a fomented a, a, a new era of technology companies that will look like the Amazons of the future that will grow in the next 20 years because the digitalization of our economy that's happened so far that we're both happy about and unhappy about, that's only touched 20% of our economy. It's touched the, I'll call it the easy stuff. We've digitalized information, news, uh, entertainment, finance, uh, transactions. Digitalizing the atoms part of the economy where we make stuff, move stuff, energize stuff, it's really hard. That starts now. We're leading it. That kind of productivity change uh, portends the biggest economic growth the world's seen in a century. We, we are literally at the beginning of a roaring 20s. In fact, my new book is called The Roaring 2020s, precisely because of that. Well, that's that's the topic for our next get-together. That's fantastic. That's the, the, the final words for, for today's show, anyway. Mark Mills, Senior Fellow at Manhattan Institute, thanks for joining. And thank you for joining. And uh, come back again for uh, an, uh, our next, I hope, fascinating discussion. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.